Amen. I just love that song more than Abel and the spirit of that. And uh, I don't know about you, but there's just something, there's a lot about the song that I think resonates with where we live, each of us. But there's something about it that just resonates with who we are as believers because there's this longing to believe that he is truly more than able. And who am I to deny what the Lord can do? I think part of what is so moving about that is that it, it hits in the vein of what you and I have been created to do, and that is trust God. And that may seem so well-known, trite, but this idea of in the places in our life where we where the control is out of our hands, we don't have the ability to put our hands on it and make it do what we want it to do, that in that moment we, we trust, we lean on, we let go of and believe that he is able to do what we cannot and more than that. And this is what he invites us to is that kind of trust. And that means there's gonna be some moments in life that are awkward because it means releasing what's in our hand and that moment is awkward. We, we, we like to own what we got and take care of what we got, and we should, but there's a moment as believers where we have to let go of, release, and that's an awkward moment. But it is the moment that establishes what we have been created to do, is trust God. This is, what, this is how he created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created placed in the garden, and God said, now, I want you to trust me. I've given you every tree to eat from except one. The knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. Here's what God was saying. I want you to trust me to tell you what is good and what is evil. I don't want you to eat of this tree and you become the source of that. I don't want you to be the one who determines and looks at life and says, oh, this is good and this is evil because that's what you and I do because hardships come our way and we say evil and it's not our responsibility to call what's good and what's evil. It's God's and therefore we're to trust him in that because sometimes the thing that is in front of us looks evil, but it's actually from God and it's good. Amen? Trust. This is really how he has established us to relate to him. And it's one of those things that we can talk about and you can say, I trust God. I trust in God, my Savior. All of that, but it's quite another to actually experience that, to do that, to let go and trust God in something. So I thought I, we would start this morning with uh, an experiment or an experience an illustration. So let me have Michael and Kyle come up to the stage this morning. And they're going to give us, yeah, come on, give them a hand. Y'all come up on stage. Y'all come on all the way up here. They're going to help us this morning experience trust. We're going to see what this trust looks like. And I think you're probably going to feel some of what this is going to look like in life. Because maybe you participated at some meeting before or a camp or something where you had to do a trust fall, Right? where someone stood behind you and you were asked to just let go and fall back into their arms. I've done that at youth camp with people. I've done that at men's retreats. We've done all those kind of things. I thought we would do that this morning, right? You guys good for this? Michael, you want to catch Kyle? Yeah, it seems logical, but we're going to flip it this morning. Kyle, you're going to catch Michael. 
Yeah. All right. Michael, do you have any reservations about this? None at all. You know Kyle pretty well? Yeah. Met him just last week, right? No. <laughs> just this morning. Yeah, first time. Yeah. You feeling good about this, Kyle? Really? Feeling strong? Yeah. <laughs> feeling confident? Not worried about the back or anything? You're feeling good. I mean, that's inspiring to Michael, I'm sure. So, are you, are you good at this kind of stuff? Just like letting go and, yeah. Is he good at this kind of stuff? Okay, good. Well, all right, good. I'm glad to hear that. All right. Are you ready, Kyle? Well, you, you give the one, two, three, because you're the one catching. All right, just whatever he says, Michael, whenever you're ready. Shoo, give him a hand. That was easy. It's too easy, man. These two guys, too strong. Thank you very much. Too strong, too good. I probably should have had one of your sons come up here, Michael, and catch you. That would have been... Man, that would have been awesome. All right. So trust comes down to that moment. I don't know if you experience that moment where you're like, oh my, he's about to let go. You know, that moment right there, like there's a moment where you can still control, right? That's usually what I do. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right, that moment right there, that is where trust actually begins. The rest of it is all talk up to that point. But there's a moment when the, then the weight swings out of your control and you're back, and it's gone, and then you have to totally rely on that next person. Today, we're going to talk about, I trust God, and I'll prove it. Michael just proved he trusts Kyle. We're going to talk about this today in our life, and talk about what trust is, and how God calls us to that. So, we have the board today. I hope you have a notepad, paper. Uh, you're free to use your phone today. There's lots going to be on screen. You're probably going to want to do a lot of screen grab, picture, and writing as well. So let's talk about trust. So trust is one of those things that requires some things. If you're going to have trust, it requires, number one, something that you hold in your hand that is deeply personal and precious to me. If I'm going to trust somebody, I have to have something in my hand first that I really, really like. Now, I'm sure Michael really, really liked his security and his strength and his balance, but he let go of that for just a moment to trust Kyle. If you're going to trust somebody, you have to have something first that you consider deeply personal and precious to you. Maybe you've got someone that's close to you in your life and you have the ability to share what is deeply personal with you with them. And you can tell them a hurt, a longing, a fear, or even a secret that no one else would know about and you wouldn't dare tell anyone else about or two, but you would tell that person. It starts with having something deeply personal and precious. This is part of what trust requires. But also, trust requires confidence in God to bless, protect, and do more with what we trust into his hand. It wasn't enough just for Michael to have what was precious to him. There came a moment where he had to release and let go, and he had to have some confidence in Kyle. Same with you and I. If you're going to release something into God's hand, you have to have something deeply precious and personal first, but you have to have confidence that God will not just catch you, but that he will bless, he will protect, and he will do more in his hand than what you could have ever done with it in your hand. Those are two elements of trust so far. 
But the third thing about trust is it requires that moment of proof when we give the first of what we hold into his hands. Now, God established a pattern in the Old Testament, as I said, with Adam and Eve, and later with his own people. When he called Israel and gave them the law, he gave them a pattern for living. He said, I want to set you, Israel, high above all the other nations of the earth. I'm going to show the rest, the rest of the nations what it looks like to be God's people. And for that to happen, I'm going to need you to trust me and trust me with every part of your life. And so the law was a description of how they were to put him first. And so you find things in the Old Testament like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It was the call to God's people to not trust in their own thoughts, their own wisdom, their own understanding, their own plan, their own logic, their own assessment, their own evaluation of what's good and evil, but to trust in him in all their ways. So in every part of their life, he was the one that had the preeminence. He was the first place. You also read in Proverbs in that very same chapter, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, honor the Lord with your possessions, with all that you have and with the first fruits of all your increase. So the first part of all that you have, every area of your life, the way you show that you really trust God is you gave him the first part of it. You didn't give him the leftover. You didn't give him the part that you thought might have been the better part. You give him the first part. So I thought we'd take a, a look at just a, a short list here of some of the areas where we can choose and need to choose to trust God. This is where you're probably going to need a phone because I don't know if you can write this fast. Here we go. Here are some things that we hold in our hand that God says, I want you to trust me with these, with the first part of these. With your time, for example. With the time that you have here. With every year, month, week, and day. Trust me with the first part of it. This is why you find in the Psalms and other stories, even Jesus, you, you see them taking the first part of a day and saying, God, I trust you so much that though I have 10 things to do, though I'm afraid I'm not going to get it all done in this day, though I might even be just a little bit tired already, I'm going to give you the first part of this day because I trust you that much with the rest of my day that I'll give you the first of my day with my career. I'll give you the first energies of my career. It's not about me. It's not about me trying to build an empire. It's not about me trying to make a whole lot of money. It's about me honoring you with my career. That is putting God first in your career, with your future. It's saying, God, I can look out at the future and see a lot of things out there. And some of them make me anxious and some of them make me nervous and some of them I don't know anything about and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm concerned. But God, I'm giving you the first part of my thoughts and my days and my future. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness because then I know all those things will be added to me. Him first. My plans. God, I put you first in my plans. I give the first part to you. My reputation. 
I don't have to fear what people will think about me because I'm putting you first, even in my reputation. What I want people to know is that I love you and walk in your ways first. I don't want that to be the last thing they find out. I want that to be the first thing that I'm known for. My own longings. Everybody has a lot of interests and desires and longings and pursuits, but the follower of Jesus says, I put him first in all of my longings. He is one I long for more than anything else. And in the things that I long for, he is the preeminent one. Even in my comfort, I seek him first. Put him first. When it comes to my fears, God, I'm going to look at what's in front of me that seems so intimidating, and I'm going to let you establish my thoughts first. I'll believe your promises first. When it comes to my worries, the same thing. I pray and I believe and I hold to your promises first. When it comes to the hurts in my life, I will hear what you have to say about them first before I listen to my own emotions, before I listen to my own thoughts, before I listen to other people say, yeah, you really should get them for that. Before all of that, I listen to you first. When it comes to my emotions, God, I, li I will listen to you first. I want you to shape my heart. I don't want to have this landscape of emotions and somehow come to you at the end of it. No, I will let you establish my emotions, my thoughts, the things that I think. God, you order my thoughts. You order how I think, the way that I think. God, in my understanding of life, I don't want to lean on my own perception of how life is unfolding or what's going to be happening next. I will lean on you and what you say first, my health. God, I'm not going to leave you out of that category. I'm going to seek you first in that. I'm going to honor you and your ways because you have created me. You created my body. You have recreated my spirit. And this body is a, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Even when it comes to my sins. God, I will hear what you say about my sins before I listen to what I say about my sins. And you say that at the cross, my sins were paid for and forgiven. Amen. So I will not continue to let them run around my mind. I will not let the enemy keep haunting me with my past because I will consider what you say first about them. Do you see how this first fruits thing works? Even when it comes to my weaknesses, God, I am not going to drill down on, I can't do this. I'm no good at that. I've never been good at that. I sure couldn't do, no. I'm going to listen to your word and what you say to me first. And you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll believe a promise. I'll not lean on my weaknesses. Even in my weaknesses, I'm going to say what your word says about them. That in my weakness, you are strong. That's putting him first. Even in my vulnerabilities, the things that I don't want others to know about, the little things that make me feel uncertain, that make me feel a little insecure. I don't know if I want people, no, you can trust that God will take care of you and be your security and be your defender and you can even talk to the people in your life that he's placed in your life and share with them the places you are weak and you'll find him strong in those places. In your marriage. Jesus is not to be the last part. Jesus is not to be the leftover part. Jesus says, I created marriage. 
And marriage is not really about you and your spouse. It's about me and the church. <laughs> That's what Ephesians says. So if you want to find meaning for your marriage, then you have to know that Jesus is the one who established it and you put him first in it. How can our marriage look like Jesus and the church? And my children. Jesus and the Bible are not meant to be leftover subjects if you happen to get to it at the end of the week. Jesus says, don't prohibit the children from coming to me. Because, in fact, you must become like a child to enter the kingdom. I have so many lessons I want to teach about children. So Jesus says, you prioritize me in their life and in your parenting of them. Even in your possessions. All that you have has come from God. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He created everything. And if you have it today, it has only come to you by God's hand. And therefore, you should honor him with that. He's not a leftover piece. He's not the, the wait and see how much we got left over. He's not, well, uh, I've got talents and time and resources and possessions. Maybe I'll give a little bit to him. No, give him the first part of what you have. And even when it comes to money, God has established a way for us to honor him in that we give the first part of what we have been blessed with. This is trusting God. This is the pattern. And it's sad that here, even in this region, church has become one of those leftover pieces for a lot of people if they have the time, if they have the energy, if they have the strength, and if they're feeling pretty good about themselves. It's sad. Jesus says, no, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come to me, trust me with what's in your hand. Now, this is the way God established for his people to live in the Old Testament. And in fact, he described in the law what would happen if they did. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, I want to read just a few verses. This is not on screen or anything. I'm just going to read this out of Scripture. Deuteronomy 28, make a note, 28, verse 7 through 13 is where I am. God has given the law, and he says, here's what's going to happen if you will do this. If you will put me first. He has this whole list of places you'll be blessed. And he says this in verse seven, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I like that. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all that you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land in which the Lord your God is giving you. Hmm. He'll bless what's in your hand because you gave it to him first. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. It's not going to just happen. It happens because you intentionally put him first and trust him. Then all people, let's see here. Then all people of the earth shall see that you were called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods in the fruit of your body and in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of the ground and in the land in which the Lord swore to the fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. This was a picture of what God was saying. I'm gonna so bless you that's God's intent and desire, 
to show himself strong. But he does that in the lives of people who fully and wholly trust him. So let's just take a picture of what this looks like here because um, Deuteronomy there described that like windows, like the windows of heaven. And just imagine for just a moment if heaven had windows and if there in in those windows is where the blessings of God were visible, where they were apparent, where they were obvious, where they were held in place waiting, just waiting for those who will choose to intentionally honor him. And that passage right there, it describes several ways that God says he will bless. In fact, he said, I will give victory. He said, there'll be those who will come against you. They'll come against you one way and they'll have to flee seven ways. I'm all for that. I'm talking about spiritual enemies that come against me. If fear comes against me, I want to be so ready to take that thought captive and honor the Lord first with my thoughts that that enemy is so scared, it runs away and it's so confused, it runs away in seven different directions. Amen? This is the kind of victory we are promised. He says, and I'll bless you so that you'll even have success in what you do. You'll set your hand to something and it'll come to pass. It'll be blessed. God will have his hand on it. And you'll have the absolute confidence that I am with you, that I am the one who has established you. I have set you up as my people and I'm gonna use you to show the entire world what it looks like to follow me. And I will give you influence. People will look at your life and say, wow, I want that in my life. And they'll listen to you because you will have the blessing of the Lord on your side. He will show himself strong. And he will take all that you have and according to those promises, he will provide increase. Whether it be your possessions, your money, your crops, your children, there will be an increase that comes from them. And there will be provision. He'll provide what you need when you need it and in abundance. And then finally, You'll even experience dominion. You will experience what God actually created Adam and Eve to have in the garden. Authority over all things. You will be the head and not the tail. You will will give and you will lend, but you won't have to be the servant to the lender. You will have provision and you will be blessed. And God says, this is what I have come to provide in those who will trust me, who will put me first. Now, the Old Testament is full of stories of people who did this and some who did not. Turn in your Bible to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And in Malachi, we find the story of a people who have come out of exile, They'd been disobedient as a nation and been taken away and they were slaves in Babylon. But then they were set free and they returned home and they were free from Babylon. The trouble was that though they had come out of Babylon, Babylon hadn't come out of them. You know, you could be set free from the world, 
but now you got to get the world out of you. Hello? And those are two different things. They had come out of Babylon, but Babylon was still in them. They had picked up some ways in Babylon that were not healthy. They had picked up some of the religious ideas and concepts there, and they brought them back home, and they were still living in them, and they were starting to experience troubles in their life. Things were not going well. They were not experiencing all the blessings in those areas we talked about. They weren't experiencing these seven areas of blessing that God had promised, and they didn't even understand why. And so God begins to speak to them. He's been doing that throughout Malachi, but we come to chapter 3, verse 6, and it says this, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. In other words, God was talking to his people and saying, Look, I am the faithful God. I am holy, I am just, I'm also merciful. And who I make my covenant with, you can be assured, I will not turn away. I will be faithful to you. So he was saying to them, O sons of Jacob, it's by my mercy that you still exist. I am faithful, and therefore, that's why you're not consumed. Because how you've acted, how you're living, you really should just be burned up. But because of my mercy and my covenant, I'm not going to do that. The next verse says, Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. God begins to gently apply some pressure here. He's saying, from the days of your fathers when you were in Babylon, you have not trusted me. You have gone away from my ordinances. You have stopped putting me first. You have moved me to some later area in priorities. And in some cases, as we're going to find, off the page altogether. Ah, we don't need that stuff. We can make it. We'll be fine. And God says, you have not kept my ways. And then in verse 7, the second part, it says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then God gives us their version of the commentary or their side back. And, but you said, in what way shall we return? Now, this is interesting to me because what was happening here is they were experiencing all kind of troubles in their life. And God says, you know, you have left me and I'm saying if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. And they say, we don't know what you're talking about. Where, where do we need to return to you? Isn't it interesting that sometimes we can be so caught up in our stuff that we don't hear God speaking to us? This was not the first time God had spoken to them, but they had kind of brushed it off and they had dismissed it. And here they were experiencing all kind of trouble in their life and they had no connection that it had to do with God and them. He goes on and he says, I'll be real specific with you, God says. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Now, robbery is a pretty serious offense. This is not in theory anymore. Now there's an accusation of you have taken what belonged to someone else. You've taken what actually belongs to God. That's a pretty serious offense. Can you imagine someone stealing something from your house 
and you catch up with them and say, hey, you stole that from me. And they say, in what way have I stolen from you? Now, this is a lot of people in jail today. That's usually what they say. They go, what, me, huh? But can you imagine God confronts you? But this is what happens to people. When you slowly remove God from the first place and push him on down the line, all of a sudden you get to a place in your life where you look and you see, well, I don't know why I'm having trouble in all my relationships. I don't know why there's so much conflict. I don't know why there's so much broken, broken relationships in my life. It shouldn't have anything to do with God, should it? Look, I don't understand, God. Why is it in my marriage things are just not going well? Why is there no intimacy and no depth? And I know I'm not putting you first, but what does that have to do with my marriage? And people say, well, God, I, I don't understand. I, I don't understand why my children are rebelling and they're so refusing and resisting of your ways. What does that have to do with me and you and my home? It has everything to do with it. You say, well, I don't honor God in my thoughts, but what does that have to do with my thoughts? What does my thoughts have to do with my mental anxieties and my, my stressors and my, my pressures and my racing thoughts? What does God have to do with any of that? And this is where a lot of people live today. What does God have to do with any of that? God has everything to do with all of that. He is the author of life. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'll open some windows for you. But if you do not, then you're going to experience the pain of not having these windows open in your life. Now, what's interesting is that Israel was a very religious people at this point. Well, they were still offering sacrifices, still doing their thing. But this is what happens when you become religious and not relational to God. And there's a lot of people today in our region, here in the South, the Bible Belt, where people know about God, they know about Jesus, they know about the gospel, but church and walking in God's ways is pushed off to the side if I have time, if I've got energy, if I've got strength. And they didn't understand what they had done to rob God. How would you rob God anyway? How would you take something that belongs to him? And how would he come up short with it? How would he look and say, oh man, I'm missing out on some stuff. I wonder who took that. Is that really what God says? No, you're not gonna take things from God and him be concerned. But what they were robbing God of was the opportunity for him to show himself strong in their life, to pour out blessing, to open these windows, and to pour all of that out onto them. They were robbing God of that opportunity. They were robbing God of the very thing he had created them for, to receive his blessings. And they had stolen that from God. And said, we're not going to trust you with the first. And thereby, thereby, they stole the very opportunity to be blessed. And so God says, you want to know how you have robbed me? He says in verse 8, the second part, it is in tithes and offerings. He got real specific. 
He went there. He touched that spot. He could have addressed any of that long list of things that we had up here. But God went straight to money. Because money ends up being the real proof of how much you trust God. Because it's one of those things that's easy to lean into and trust in. It's one of those things that you can measure and have tangible hold on to and lean into it for your own strength and comfort and security. And God said, you have not honored me with the first of this area. And therefore, you are experiencing trouble in your life. You have stopped trusting. And therefore, trouble has come. In fact, God went, he went there. Here's what he says next. You are cursed with a curse. These are not people who don't know God. These are God's people. And he says, you are experiencing a curse upon your life. For you have robbed me. Even this whole nation has robbed me. I said, wow, those are some pretty heavy words. But that same Deuteronomy 28 I read, in that same chapter, is a, a list twice as long of cursings that come upon God's people when they do not honor him with the first part. And it applies. Whether you're talking about money, marriage, parenting, career, emotions, thoughts, your plans, your future, your possessions, any of them. And in that, there's a lengthy list of curses, the consequences that come. I'm just going to give you the short version of that. In that, he says, you will go to work and you will do your things, but you'll experience frustration and confusion. And God says, I'll end up rebuking everything that you do. I'll frustrate it. You'll try to do something and it just won't work. You'll try another way and that won't work either. And you'll keep setting your hand to trying it and doing it and doing it on your own and not honoring God and it will not come to pass because it will be frustrated. In fact, Deuteronomy 28 says they'll just be, you'll have cursing. You will be the one cursing and frustrated. He says you're going to have a loss of effort and energy and work. There's going to be no fruit from what you do. It won't be successful. The windows will be shut. You'll be defeated. You'll have more losses than you will gains. And the enemy will have power over you. He'll have power over your thoughts, over your circumstances, and your actions. You'll start having mental and emotional instability in your life. It's in Deuteronomy 28. You'll experience mental disorder because you have not kept the order of trust first. It's there. He says, you'll start to experience marital trouble. It's there, Deuteronomy 28. You'll find your spouse off having an affair with someone and you won't understand what's going on. You'll find your children rebelling and you won't understand because you have neglected to keep God's ways. You'll see increasing debt in your life. Instead of having God bless, you'll be more and more dependent and a slave. It's all there in Deuteronomy 28. You'll find disease in your land. 
You'll find other nations coming into your land to take over from the inside of your land. Does any of this sound familiar? He said, there will be a curse come upon you. And he said, you will actually begin to diminish in number. You as a people, as God's people, begin to become smaller and smaller and less influential and you'll be in constant uncertainty and insecurity. It even says in Deuteronomy 28, he says, you'll get to the point where during the day, you'll wish it was night. And in the night, you'll wish it was day. You won't be satisfied. You won't have peace. You'll want to wake up, but then you want to go back to sleep because you just want to hide from it all. But then that gets too much, and so you got to go do something, but that doesn't lead to anything. And you lead to this constant space of just frustration and inability and confusion. And you're wondering, what in the world? And the people of God said, what are we doing to rob you, God? I don't understand. And God says, because you've not trusted me with the first. And you can hear the tension in the conversation as they reach this point. All of a sudden, they just start connecting. Wait a minute. That's why this is happening. That's why that's not working out. That's why I'm experiencing this. And you can almost hear them ask the question, so what do we do? God answers. He says this in verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Listen to me. This is not saying that you tithing solves all of your issues in life. Are you with me? This was a much bigger issue of trusting God. But God puts his finger on this one and says, here is the one that is the most tenuous, the most tempting for you to lean into. And if you will trust me in this one and in all the others, oh, you'll see something happen. You'll see God move. And it's here God is saying, trust me, trust me, try me, prove it, fall back into my arms, let go of your control, let go of doing it your way, trust me. And he says, see if this won't happen. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He says, in all these areas, he says, if you, if you will come to the place where you say, God, I have so made a wreck of my life. I have so done it my way and experienced only frustration and only emptiness and only a lack of fruit. No matter what I set my hand to, it just seems like it doesn't work. So God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you the first part of every part of my life. My thoughts, my ways, my plans, my marriage, my children, my possessions, even my money. God, 
I will trust you with it. And God promises, if you will do that, I will open the windows of heaven and blessings will begin to just pour out in ways greater than you can imagine. I will cause them to happen. And you won't look and say, hey, I made a pretty good financial decision. No, you will say, I trusted the Lord and he heard me because he is the one who is good. He is the one who is wise. And all I did was trust him. I leaned into, gave up. I trust with the first. With the first part of every part of who I am. My day, my time, my plans, my reputation, my marriage, my family, my relationships, my hurts, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, my possessions, my sin, my time, my money. And God says, see if I won't do this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. God says, I will talk to the one who tries to destroy everything that you have and I will rebuke him. I will stop him. I will be the one to eliminate his power over your life. I will rebuke him, correct him, send him running seven ways for your sake so you'll know so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for all your field, says the Lord of hosts. He will interrupt the natural, geological, agricultural, meteorological, spiritual realms so that you will know blessing. He'll open the windows so that you can know his power when you put him first. He says, and as a result, all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. They'll look at you and say, whoa, God has blessed that person. There's no other explanation except God. And they'll say, I wish I had what they had. This is the power of the good news of Jesus to heal, restore, to bless, and cause others to say, I want that. So back to our list today. I'd ask you, which of these do you hold in your hand today and you've been holding on to it far too tightly? And he's saying, I need you to let go and trust me with it because I can do far more with it in my hands than you can in your hands. And I'm waiting to open up the windows of heaven for every person who will trust me with the first of these. Do you hear the Lord speaking this morning? Amen. He is plainly and clearly. Would you bow your heads as we pray this morning? Father, I thank you that it is your desire to bless, 
to open the windows of heaven, to show yourself strong, to pour out your spirit, to pour out blessings so great that we can't even contain it all. And you invite us to that spot by trusting in you, by giving you the first part of every part of who we are. So God, help us to not be those who debate and argue and try to defend ourselves and deny what is happening, but help us to be those who say, God, I recognize, I recognize I have not trusted you. I've walked in my own way. I've done my own thing, but I'm tired of that. And now I'm ready to trust in you. So I will put you first. You will be the one that I honor. You will be the one that I seek first in my day. You will be the one who gets the first place in my marriage. You will be the one who gets the first place in my parenting. You will be the one who gets the first part of my future. You will be the one who gets the first part of my plans, my life, my heart, my hurts, everything that's in me, God. You get the first part of it because I don't want to live on my own anymore. I want you to rebuke the devourer. I want you to pour out the windows of heaven and experience your full blessing in my life. So God, I trust you. I give to you. I trust you with the first part. And God, I'd ask that as a result of us doing this, that stories would begin to just explode in our midst. Stories of blessing where the windows opened and you showed yourself strong. God calls all that to happen because that's what you promised. We lean on that. We believe that. And we will wait to see your hand mightily at work here even in our midst today. We trust you. We believe you and pray all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen.